Our scripture reading this afternoon is in the Epistle of Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 4. Ephesians, chapter 4. We've been considering this chapter in our applicatory services. And this afternoon we come up to verses 22 through 25. Let's begin reading at verse 17, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which, after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good, to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We read that far. The text for the sermon is verses 22 through 25 that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, here in our text, we learn a brief summary of the whole of our calling as Christians. A brief summary of the whole life of conversion, or sanctification, if you will. A brief summary of the way Christ teaches us to live in this world 
as his blood-bought disciples. And that brief summary is, put off the old man, which is corrupt, and put on the new man, which is created after God in righteousness and holiness. The Heidelberg Catechism has this passage in mind, as well as other similar passages, when it teaches us in the third part on thankfulness about conversion. In Lord's Day 33, it asks, Of how many parts doth the true conversion of man consist? The answer, of two parts, of the mortification of the old and the quickening of the new man. That teaching of the Catechism is based on our text, as well as other texts. In the context, the Apostle Paul has exhorted the Ephesians and us not to walk any longer as the other Gentiles walk, verse 17. The other Gentiles, meaning the ungodly and unbelieving people around us, they walk in the vanity of their mind. Their understanding is darkened. They're alienated from the life of God through the ignorance in them and the blindness of their heart. They are past feeling and have given themselves over to lasciviousness and all uncleanness with greediness. But the apostle has reminded us, you have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have truly heard his voice, and if so be that you have truly learned from him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. And what is that truth that is in Jesus? What is it that Jesus taught us and that he teaches us? Jesus not only teaches us that he died on the cross for our sins, that he gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for us, that we might be justified and have eternal life. But he has also taught us how we are to live our lives in this world as his disciples, as those who have been bought by his blood. And what is it that our Lord Jesus teaches us? If you summarize all of his teaching about how we are to live as his disciples in this world, it can be summarized in our text as the apostle does. Put off the old man which is corrupt, according to the former conversation. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and put on the new man. Let's consider that together. The calling to live a new and holy life. First of all, putting off the old man. Secondly, putting on the new man. And finally, an example. The Apostle Paul teaches us that Jesus teaches us how we are to live. Verse 21, If so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in him, that ye put off the old man. That's the teaching of Jesus that comes to us today. First of all, he calls us to put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. The word for man in the original Greek is not the word that is in distinction from woman, 
There is another Greek word for man in distinction from woman. That's not the word in our text. Rather, the word in our text is a word that could be translated human being. It's a word that refers to a man in distinction from other creatures. So he's saying, put off the old human, the old human being in you. The old man, then, is who we were and what we were as human beings in Adam, conceived and born in sin, totally depraved by nature, before God grafted us into Christ. The old man is our old nature. It is sometimes called the flesh. It is vile and corrupt. It is our old wicked attitudes of mind and heart that still lurk within us. It is the old sinful behaviors that still tempt us and against which we still wrestle. It is the old way of living. He speaks of the former conversation, that is, the former way of life, the the former way that you lived before you knew Christ. The apostle says about this old man that it is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. We could also translate it this way. The old man corrupts itself through the lusts of deceit. The old man is corrupt, that's true. The old man was corrupt to begin with, totally corrupt and only corrupt, totally depraved. But the old man also corrupts itself constantly, day by day, through the lusts of deceit. The old man is always trying to deceive us. The old man is an ally of the devil who is also trying to deceive us and the world that tries to deceive us. And the deception that the old man attempts is to convince us of the lie that sin is good and holiness is evil. That to serve God is evil, to obey God's commandments is evil, but to serve myself is good. To satisfy my own lusts is good. It's through the lusts of deceit that our old man tries to trick us and deceive us. The old man, according to Lord's Day 52 of the Catechism, is one of the threefold enemy that we battle against, the world, the flesh, and the devil, which cease not to assault us. How do they assault us? How does the old man assault us? By producing lusts that deceive us. The old man is constantly trying to produce lusts inside of us. Constantly trying to direct our minds, our eyes, our ears, our attention to things that we ought not have. To things that God does not will for us to have. Like our neighbor's wife. Like our neighbor's house. Like our neighbor's property. Like personal glory and fame and the praise of men. Like to be rich and richer and richer and prosperous in this world. Like revenge against our enemy and so many other lusts. The old man is constantly producing these lusts and trying to deceive us to satisfy them by convincing us that that will bring us happiness. The old man is a liar. The old man tries to corrupt us 
to ruin us, to destroy us. The old man promises excitement, but delivers misery. The old man offers happiness, but drags us into bondage. The old man whispers pleasure, 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 but traps us in a cycle of addiction and sinful thought patterns. And so the apostle says, put off the old man, put him off. Jesus himself says that to us. Jesus says this to us who are regenerated, converted believers. He is not speaking here to the unregenerated and unconverted unbelievers. He is speaking to us who have already been crucified with Christ. That's obvious because the apostle speaks of it as the old man. But in the unconverted, unregenerated, unbelieving person, it's not an old man, it's the present man. It's not a former conversation, it's the current way of living. But for us, it is the old man. It is the former way of living because we have been grafted into Christ. We have been thereby crucified with Christ. And the old man has been crucified. In Romans 6, verses 6 and 7, the same apostle writes, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Christ was crucified for us, for you. We saw that this morning. We were reminded through the bread and the wine that he gave his body to be broken and his blood to be shed for us on the cross. And when he was crucified, he represented us as our head. So when he was crucified, we were crucified with him. When he was crucified, our old man was crucified with him. Because when he died on the cross, he took upon himself the curse of death that we deserve. And that curse of death is not only that we're going to die at the end of our life. That curse of death is our old man. Our depraved nature. That is death. Spiritual death. But Jesus took that curse upon himself on the cross. And he removed that curse from us. So that no longer does God curse us with death. Our old man was crucified with Christ. Our old man was killed. Our old man was buried in the grave of Christ all those years ago. And now when we are born into this world, God takes hold of us by his spirit and he grafts us into Christ. And at that very moment in our lives when we are grafted into Christ, the cross of Christ touches us. And the power of the cross works in us. And the power of the blood of Jesus destroys in principle our old, sinful, corrupt nature. That's what the apostle means when he says our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that we should not serve sin anymore. We are freed from sin 
Sin has no more dominion over us. From that point in our life, when we were grafted into Christ, onward, our totally depraved, corrupt nature with which we were born is our old man. Our old man. Our former self. And although that old man is not removed yet, that old man is still there. It continues with us. It clings to us. And that too is proven from the text by the mere fact that he calls us to put it off. If it was already completely removed and eradicated and destroyed and no longer clinging to us, there would be no calling to put it off. But there is a calling to put off that old man. Put it off, people of God. When he calls us to put it off, he's using the language of taking off a garment. Imagine that you had a jacket when you were younger, an ugly jacket, a filthy jacket. Dirty jacket, always dirty and filthy and stinking. But you thought it was quite stylish. You thought it was quite hip because, after all, everyone else in the world was wearing a jacket just like that, a stinky, ugly, filthy jacket. And you loved that jacket. And you didn't care that it stunk. You didn't care that it was ugly and disgusting You just kept wearing it, just like everybody else. And even now, you have to confess to yourself, I have a lingering love of that jacket. I still find in myself that I love it, and I want to wear it, and I want to keep it on. But Christ comes to us today and says, put it off. Don't wear it anymore. You're a Christian now. You've been changed. You've been grafted into me. You've learned Christ. Don't you see now that jacket for what it is? Don't you see now how ugly it is? Don't you see how much it stinks? How nasty it is? Don't wear it anymore. Take it off. Put it off. Put off your sinful habits. Put off your sinful attitudes. Put off your sinful beliefs. Put off your sinful desires. That's the idea. But oh, how hard that is for us. We still have this lingering love for that jacket. We like those sinful attitudes and beliefs and behaviors. Oh, how hard it is to put them off. They stick to us. They cling to us. They won't let go of us. And that's why the apostle puts it elsewhere like this. Colossians 3 Mortify your members which are upon the earth. That means kill them. Because that old man is like a living thing. And you have to kill it. Mortify it. Your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Uncleanness. Inordinate affection. Evil concupiscence. Covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Put it off. Put it all off. 
Don't wear that jacket. It stinks. Our Lord Jesus teaches us in the Gospels that if our right eye offends us, by looking at a woman to lust after her, we should pluck it out and cast it from us because it is better to enter into heaven with one eye than to enter into hell with two. Or if you're using your right hand to sin sexually or in some other way, he says cut it off because it's better to go into heaven with two hands or with one hand than to go into hell with two. What is this putting off of the old man? Well, the Heidelberg Catechism explains it in Lord's Day 33. This mortification of the old man has two aspects. First of all, repentance. The Catechism describes it as a sincere sorrow of heart that we have provoked God by our sins. That's the first aspect of putting off the old man, that you recognize that the sins of that old man, they stink. They're wretched. They're ugly. They make me ugly in God's eyes. And I hate them. And to acknowledge them. No longer making excuses for wearing that jacket. No longer minimizing the wearing of that jacket. No longer justifying it. No longer blaming others. Well, it's their fault that I'm wearing this jacket. I have to wear it for them. But taking it off. In true sorrow of heart acknowledging our sins for what they are, sins against God that stink. And then secondly, forsaking them, confessing them and forsaking them. That's putting off the old man. It's renouncing those sinful habits, renouncing those sinful attitudes, not nurturing them, not clinging to them, continuing in them, as our little pets, our precious little jewels that we're going to take good care of and make sure that nobody takes them away from us. We're going to wear that jacket, whether they like it or not. No. But forsaking those sinful attitudes. Striving day after day, fighting, fleeing, battling, plucking out the eye, cutting off the hand, using every lawful means that God has given to us. That's what it means. Not that we literally cut off our hand, that we use every lawful means that God gives us to put these sins out of our life. The Apostle Paul says, you have not so learned Christ to just continue on in sin, if so be that you have truly heard him, how much he loves you, how much he has forgiven you, what he did for you on the cross, then you'll have a desire to put off the old ways. And furthermore, he says, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man. That's what Christ calls us to positively. That we be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new man. The spirit of our mind does not refer to two distinct parts of our soul. When you first look at it, you might wonder, what does he mean by the spirit of my mind? 
He's not referring to your spirit and your mind as two different things. It's the spirit of your mind. Now, you have a spirit, which is another word for your soul, but he's not really talking about that in the text. When he speaks of the spirit of your mind, he's talking about your mind. He's talking about the spirit of your mind, the spiritual attitude of your mind, the spiritual condition of your mind, the spiritual inclinations of your mind. What does that mean? It's the way that my mind is currently thinking about things, the way my mind currently works. The inmost thoughts in my mind about what is a truly good life, about who God is, about what this life is all about, about my neighbors, my brothers and sisters in the church, the way I'm currently thinking about them and about those things, that's the spirit of my mind. Spirit of my mind includes all of my mental habits, all of my mental patterns, so that when I experience things in my life, I'm mentally triggered to go down a certain train of thought as part of the spirit of my mind. I see something. Maybe I see that something or that someone every day. And every time I see that something or someone, it triggers something in my mind, and I go down this pattern of thinking That's the spirit of my mind. Are there things in your life that you see, that you observe and experience which trigger in your mind certain thoughts, certain patterns of thought? That's the spirit of your mind. It's the mental habits of how I react to people, to certain kinds of people, to specific people. When they do specific things, how do I react to them in my mind? That's the spirit of my mind. And Christ says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Which indicates there are problems in our minds. There are problems in the way we think. There are sinful patterns in our minds. And he says, be renewed. Let there be change in the way you think. That means that we are to take very practical steps in our lives and use the God-given means so that our minds will be renewed, changed from the old to the new, such as the reading of God's word and daily personal devotions in which we Carefully, slowly meditate on his word and think about how it applies to me. And we let that sharp word cut into us and apply to us. Such as prayerful and regular examination of our thought life. We are called before the Lord's Supper to examine ourselves. That is to be an ongoing habit of life that we examine our thoughts, the patterns of thinking, that we think about them and examine whether they are good or bad, that we listen to reproof when our wife tells us or our husband the wrong patterns of thinking that we have because they observe and see it all the time. 
or when our elders bring reproof to us, that we listen to it, that we confess our sins one to another, as James says, confess our faults to each other, also the sins of our mind. Because when we confess those sins that are here in the mind, we put them out of the darkness into the light. And then we are held accountable by our brothers and sisters in the church, in the family. We're held accountable to change. We help each other. We serve each other. Not just in the earthly things of life, but especially in the spiritual things. Sanctification is a battle that takes place largely in the mind. And it's a daily battle. But notice the passive voice. Be renewed. He doesn't say renew yourself. Because you can't. Only God can renew our minds. Only God can change the way we think from the bad to the good. God does that, and that's the whole lifelong process of sanctification. And God does that by motivating us through the gospel, by bringing the gospel to us. And that motivates us when we have Christ set before us. We want to change. Again, if so be that you have truly heard him, if so be that you have truly listened and received that gospel in your heart, God motivates us to joyful gratitude for that salvation, and he leads us to seek whatever means I need to change this pattern in my life. God motivates us to that. And he renews us. This is our reasonable service. In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, the apostle uses the same figure of renewing. He says there, your reasonable service is that you be not conformed to this world, but you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That renewing of the mind is our calling. Put on the new man, he says. Now, once again, this calling doesn't come to the unconverted and the unregenerated. It comes to us who have been born again already. It comes to us who have already been grafted into Christ and who have already received that new man. In Romans 6, Paul goes on to say this, Now, if we be dead with Christ, our old man of sin, we believe that we shall also live with him knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus not only died on the cross for us, he arose from the dead for us too. He sprung free from the grave with new life, not only for himself, but for you and for me. When he arose from the dead, we arose with him. He arose with the power to make us a new man, to make us a new creature, a new human being. He burst forth from the grave on that first day of the new week. 
with the power to create a new human race in the image and likeness of God. That's the power of Christ in his resurrection. And when God grafted us into Christ, that resurrection of Christ touched your life and mine. The new, powerful life of Christ touched us and regenerated us and made us a new creature. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, the apostle speaks of this reality when he says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, that is, grafted into Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. He's a new creature. The resurrection life of Christ has made us new. In our text, the apostle explains what that new man is. Put on the new man, he says, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. We didn't create this new man. We didn't renew ourselves. It's a creation of God. This new man that is in us was created by God. You see that word created in the text. He calls our mind to the work of God in the beginning of time, creating the heavens and the earth. Only God can create things out of nothing. God created a new man in us out of nothing. There was nothing in us that we brought to the table. There was no choice or decision that we made. God did it. God created us as new human beings. That is, he created us in his own image and likeness. When God made Adam in the beginning, he created him, we are told, in his own image and likeness. Adam and Eve, in the beginning, were righteous and holy. They were a reflection of God himself. They actually reflected God in the patterns of thought in their minds, in the words that they spoke to each other, in the behaviors and the patterns and the ways of life that they lived in the Garden of Eden. They were righteous. They were a reflection of God. But when they fell into sin, we lost that image of God and we became totally depraved. And that's how we came into this world, totally depraved and corrupt. But now God has grafted us into Christ and he has made us new. So that now that depraved nature is old and now there's something new. That depraved nature is still there, still clings to us, it still tempts us. It still tries to deceive us. It still tries to make us gratify our lusts, to drag us back into bondage. And it's a powerful and mighty foe. But it doesn't have dominion over us. We have a new man. We have been created again in the image of God. And what does that mean? It means that God has created and put into our hearts as the Catechism says elsewhere, the firm resolution to keep not only some of the commandments of God, but all of them. 
Or as Paul says in Romans 7, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's the new man. In my new man, I'm resolved to walk in the paths of righteousness. I'm resolved to live a holy life, a godly life. God created that in us, not we. But now God comes to us and says, put on that new man. Putting on brings us back to that figure of a garment or a jacket. Put off the stinking, ugly, old jacket. Put on the lovely, beautiful, fragrant garment that is a sweet-smelling savor to God, the new man. God himself has already clothed us in the pristine white robes of the righteousness of Christ through justification. There's no works that we are expected to do to earn that righteousness. We can't. God has given it to us. He has wrapped around us that pure white robe of Christ's righteousness. And now he calls us to put on the robe of holiness in a godly life. And he begins to work in us so that we put that on. And that's called sanctification. God works that in us too. God works that in us by calling us to put it on. Put it on. Put on new ways of thinking, new ways of speaking, new ways of behaving. What are those new ways? Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14, he says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. That's the new garments that we are to put on, the garments of love and patience and humility and kindness and long-suffering. Finally, an example. We intend to consider all of the specific exhortations that follow our text in future applicatory sermons. But we consider just the next verse, 25, as an example to apply all of this. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. That old jacket is a liar. We love that old jacket. We have a lingering love for it. The old man is a liar. The old man loves to lie. The old man lies in order to advance myself in the world. Subtly twists the truth sometimes. The the old man lies in order to cover up something that I've done that I don't want people to know about. 
The old man lies in order to hurt the neighbor, bearing false witness against him to bring him down. The old man doesn't care about the truth. Sometimes the old man even pretends to care about the truth, but in reality he doesn't care about it at all. All he cares about is himself. He's a liar. He's the child of his father, the devil. But that old lying man of sin has been crucified with Christ. And all of our lies have been nailed to the cross. All of our slanders and backbiting and gossiping, all of our rash judging and twisting of the truth in subtle ways and manipulating of others, it's all been nailed to the cross. And that old man, that old jacket has been nailed there. He no longer has power over us. Dominion. We've been set free from it. And yet it tempts us still, doesn't it? Are we not still tempted to lie? Do we not still feel a strong draw to lie when it makes us look good or helps us somehow? Let us be done with lying. Let us repent of lying. Let us be sorrowful over our lying. How do we do that? We make use of the means God has given to us. We examine ourselves. We don't say, well, I don't lie anymore. But we say, in what ways do I lie? In what ways do I twist the truth? In what ways do I bear false witness and judge rashly and unheard? I want to put that off. Means then that we put on the new man by speaking the truth with our neighbor. When Christ arose from the dead, he arose with the power to give us the ability to speak the truth. Let us put on the new man. It's a new way of thinking that loves the truth. Even if speaking the truth doesn't benefit me. Even if speaking the truth hurts me. Even if speaking the truth means that I will be exposed for some sin that I've committed. Speak the truth. That means we guard our tongues that we speak carefully, honestly, and accurately to the best of our ability. It means we speak the truth about our neighbor and to our neighbor. And above all, that we speak the great truth, the truths of God to each other within the church. He says we are members one of another. We're members of one body. We have the same Lord and the same Savior, the same head, He died for you just like he died for me. We're all members of the body. Therefore, let us speak the truth to each other. Let us build each other up in that truth. So that's an example. And we can take that and apply it to every single sinful weakness that we have that still cleaves to us. Put it off. Put on the new man. May God grant us the strength. Amen.
Our Father which art in heaven, we pray for that strength to live holy and thankful lives. We thank thee that thou hast set us free, that we have been justified freely by thy grace and forgiven. And now fill us with such overflowing hearts of gratitude that our stubbornness is broken down, that our hearts and minds are renewed, that we look into our lives and examine ourselves, that we turn from old sinful habits, that we put on the new, that we put on love, and grant that we might do that in the words that we speak with our tongues, that we might be pleasing unto thee. In Jesus' name, amen.